welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, we're promised a bunch of points. We were promised great defenses as well, and they didn't show up. Other teams, certain players maybe didn't have their best Sunday, but I challenge you and myself to show up today and have a tremendous instant reactions for week 11 show. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm fine. Um, I'm very excited for Thanksgiving. We'll get to that schedule a little bit later. I think all of you that are routine listeners to the show know that we're going to try something a little bit different today. Uh, I propose this. If it goes horribly wrong, we might even change it mid-show. That's how the operation is that we are operating in. Um, But instead of just going game by game from like a game flow and storyline and narrative standpoint, instead, we just want to take, like the show title says, Instant yep. reactions, top takeaways, things that you can pe- peel and pull from each one of those. So, Hayden, why don't we start off with one game that we discussed more than any other heading into this one in the one o'clock window. The Buffalo Bills lose 41 to 15 to the Indianapolis Colts. I talked about defense. I talked about how the Bills are one of the best teams in the league now at six and four and the Colts have turned their season around at six and five. What should I know from this contest? Jonathan Taylor's probably the favorite to be the 101 for next year, half PPR best ball. I think him and Christian McCaffrey are going to be neck and neck. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor is going to be healthier and younger. And we now know that his ceiling is just as high. He became the 16th player in NFL history to score five touchdowns. He's doing it in chunk yardage. He's doing it at the goal line. They're mixing him in in the screen game out on first and second downs in general. He's playing way more snaps than he ever has had before. Naeem Hines comes in a little bit, mixes in. He had a fumble at the handoff. They're making Marlon Mack inactive. And what you're resulting in is an identity and a successful one through the ground game. And you yeah. don't see that very often. Even going into halftime, it was 11 pass attempts to 20 carries. And this game just got out of hand quickly because there was a little bit of weather and Jonathan Taylor was just going crazy. He is 100% at least in that Nick Chubb, Derek uh, Henry category when it comes to just running the ball up the middle, speed, now vision, all of it. He's the complete product. I have a hundred questions to ask about each of the things that you just said. First of all, you know this. I kind of hoped or even predicted that maybe the Bills could go out ahead 14 nothing, and said the Colts were the team that did that. How were they able to establish, because their identity is known throughout the league. I mean, it's Jonathan Taylor. It's a dominant offensive line. Did the weather contribute? And from everything that I saw, Hayden, the Bills missed more tackles and more sacks than I had seen basically all season long. And that obviously plays directly into the hands of a team that if you cannot stop their running game and a running back who contributed to all five of the team's touchdowns, along with 35 touches, in this game, you're not winning. Yeah, it was it was an ass whipping for sure. There was one fluky play where I, Isaiah McKenzie fumbles the ball on a kickoff when it was 17 to seven. That ball gets returned to the two yard line. Then it was an easy Jonathan Taylor score. But for the most part, this was just the the Colts and mainly Jonathan Taylor just taking control of the ball. I do want to note uh, uh, Quentin Nelson left with an injury. That's something to monitor. But the rest of the offensive line is still playing playing so well. Eric Fisher looks better. They got Braden Smith back. The entire line looks good. And we don't even need Jonathan Taylor 
to have such a great line. Like the vision issues that he kind of had earlier in his career no longer exist. The cutbacks were impressive once again, and he's just going to get rolling the rest of the year. We've seen a lot of teams, you know, alter their success over the course of the season. One that has more parity than almost any other that I can remember, but no team more so than, than the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, they started Hayden one and four to open this year. Then they go and beat the Texans, beat the 49ers, lose a field goal game to the Tennessee Titans where they lost a big lead in that one. Then the jets, then the Jaguars, and then the bills. I mean, what that is six wins out of, your last eight games. We talked about it once they lost the Titans that that AFC South is basically sewed up with a bow and over to the Titans, but the Colts are the better team at this point. They know who they are. They know how that wins. And what does it say about ability to win in that way right now in that 11 of 20, 106 yards and one touchdown is all you need from your quarterback in a league that is so dominated by the passing game. Yeah, Carson Wentz right now is not turning the ball over, and I think a lot of that is kind of lucky. There are some plays, not necessarily this week, but in previous weeks, that he could have turned the ball over, but he's been pretty lucky there. He's also getting, I think, his legs back a little bit. There was one where he's pressured. He literally ducks under a defensive uh, lineman and then scrambles on a third and 10 for a first down. So these little plays are making a difference for Carson Wentz. They're having having a number one receiver in Michael Pittman, they didn't need to use him because of the score here. Uh, he had a 25% target share, so there's nothing to worry about. Um, but the, all the little things are getting worked out. But I think that the real story for this game was just the problems with the Bills' offense right now. Mm. And it's a lot of the same problems as the Chiefs' offense has been going through. And the story was this freaking too high shell. Again, coming into this game, Josh Allen was averaging 7.7 yards per attempt against two high coverages, 8.9 yards per attempt against single high. Basically more so than any other team in the league, the Colts play this two high shell. And today that forced Josh Allen to have a 7.5 a dot. That's a little bit lower than we're used to. And then on pass attempts over 14 yards, he was three of nine with two interceptions. So this was just a dink and dunk offense that they couldn't get Emmanuel Sanders going downfield. Stephon Diggs was kind of contained and they didn't have an explosive element to this game. So this is something that Josh Allen's going to have to figure out. He has to take his time and hit these chunk or these, not these chunk games with these little intermediate dink and dunk games, but that's taking all the creativeness and like the best parts of Josh Allen's game. So it's a storyline to watch. And this hasn't just been this week. This has been popping up time and time again. I think it's been the difference between, the 2020 Bills, and then like this year's 2021 Bills. Yeah, I'm trying to pull up their schedule from the last few games because obviously you have that game against the Jets thrown in there when they put up 45 points last week and when they are able to attack vertically. But also mixed in, you have that horrible loss to the Jaguars. You have a loss to the Titans as well. I mean, three losses in their last five games. How you outlined it, I think, is perfect to explain Josh Allen because a lot of times you have to have patience. You have to have poise against these two high shelves and how I've explained Josh Allen forever through his entire career, the early struggles coming out of college to what he evolved into last season is that he's a pedal to the floor player, right? Like everything is full go at every single snap and every single play. And so often, especially last year, you can run extremely hot when you're surrounded by a healthy offensive line, great skill position players, and it's going to give you some unreal numbers and unreal you know, production down the field. But 
in games where it's a well-coached defense or one that they're running too high and a combination of the two, and then also weather and, you know, Stefan Diggs only getting 26 yards and Gabriel Davis being your leading, well, Dawson Knox being your leading receiver and then Matt Breida being your leading rusher. There's always like an element or an outcome that is failure for Josh Allen because he doesn't, he's not one of those like standard traditional passers. And so if that's the case, maybe we're just getting the negative outcomes more often this year versus last year. It was almost universally positive at every single turn. They really need Cole Beasley to kind of beat these defenses. And he still, I think, played on like 62% of the routes. So still banged up. He had the same exact practice report as last week when he played only nine snaps. So they need Cole Beasley to get healthy here to kind of beat this. He's been their zone beater for the last two years. And they're going to have to figure out ways to kind of scheme touches to Steph Diggs, maybe the screen game. Maybe they can try to run the ball a little bit more. But it just basically comes down to is Josh Allen is a Lamborghini and he's trying to run it through Manhattan. You have to be take it slow and then occasionally you can gas it up. But for the most part, you're going to have to be really cautious. And it's kind of, it's kind of sad to see you're not seeing like this explosive element unless you're playing the freaking New York jets. Yeah. And again, if you eliminate the jets and this is a tiny little sample, but so often games are played or seasons are played in like three to four game windows, Jaguars plus Colts games, they have a combined 21 points. And the next up they're on the road against the saints. They're at home against the Patriots and they're on the road against the Buccaneers at home against the Panthers on the road against the Patriots. Once again, those are a bunch of quality defenses that are well coached that have their own strengths as well. So it's something definitely worth monitoring despite what our earlier season thoughts and my continued thoughts are with the bills. They have a lot of things to figure out as we, uh, as we go along. All right. By the way, that Carson Wentz, sack that he avoided on third and 10 when they were just up 14 to seven again, while his production wasn't huge, that almost feels like not to go too micro here, almost a game changing point where if yep. he'd gotten sacked when a free rush, I think it was Mario Addison was rushing right at him. Then the bills get the ball back and maybe have a chance to make it 14, 14, but instead the game is basically put away at that. Point. And those splits that you reference with Carson Wentz playing better recently than the Colts are winning. Remember the, those ankle injuries for Carson Wentz pl- were huge. plaguing the entire offense. He looks a little bit more, athletic and that's been like kind of the the missing element for for the Colts yeah and smart people like Nate Tice who you know grew up behind an offensive line coach has talked about Ryan Kelly playing tremendously well at center Eric Fisher playing tremendously well at left tackle when your identity is working and you can lean into it especially like this that's that's awesome stuff all right I want to talk about this Minnesota Vikings Green Bay Packers game with the Vikings at home when 34 to 31 and Namely, I want to say that, sure, Debo Samuel, Cooper Cup have been unbelievable this season, but the two best wide receiver performances on Sunday came from Devontae Adams and Justin Jefferson. And especially when we talk about Justin Jefferson, eight receptions, 169 yards, and two touchdowns off of 10 targets. He had in third and sixth route, over. Second and seven, deep shot down the field to the one-yard line. A third and goal touchdown where he was motioned out of the backfield and was an awesome little alignment. Another third and three touchdown score for him as well. I mean, again, Cup and Debo are incredible, but these both are like two ISO ball outside receivers. And what we have seen from Justin Jefferson as over the last two weeks is remarkable stuff. I mean, just his ability to win in so many different ways with like hesitation moves or 
push-offs where offensive pass interference is something that these wide receivers should use over and over and over again and his body control and then an understanding of, hey, I'm going to contort my body, throw it back to the left shoulder, complete the 360 and get over the goal line as well in this third and long play. Just tremendous stuff. I'll stop there with Justin Jefferson because I know that you always love talking about him. Yeah, I mean, all time through the first 26 games, that's where we're at with Justin Jefferson. He's second in yards, all the way up at 2,300 yards. Odell Beckham is first, but those Odell Beckham teams pass the ball way more than the Vikings teams historically. So this is one of the best uh, starts of the career and wide receiver history. I think that's where we're trending towards. And you're right. To me, it's right now Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill. Those are the three biggest game-changing wide receivers in the book. And we'll be talking about Justin Jefferson in the first and second round of fancy drafts for the next five to 10 years. I also need to bring up Devontae Adams because what he did on his end of the equation was uh, was tremendous as well. This Bill, Bill Barnwell pulled up the dots for his touchdown. Look at 24 here in the slot left. It just looks like it's a complete busted coverage. And I want to pull up the exact play. It's not. A, shingles, a shake at the top of his route literally forces 24 to bite down and move in the complete opposite direction. And then... 17, Devontae Adams makes himself completely wide open. It, it almost felt like it was a wide receiver versus wide receiver matchup so often here. And obviously it's not. I mean, quarterbacks have to throw them the football. Defenses are out there on the field as well. But it was almost like you had two great NBA players going back and forth, just pointing at each other in an all-star game like, I can dunk better than you. Almost a dunk contest, even. And just the back and forth on nearly every single drive. That was a big play down the field. Devontae and Justin Jefferson were trading off on them. And it, I mean, it's not a crazy statement to say that Devontae Adams is unreal. But to me, it, when you consider that the NFL is filled with professionals and the best players at their position in the league, and we all know where Aaron Rodgers is looking for the ball. We all know where Kirk Cousins is looking for the ball. And these guys can create this much separation one-on-one just speaks volumes to the talent that they put out there. Yep, there's no holes in their games. A uh, couple notes I had. Alton Jenkins sounds like he's out for the year with the torn ACL. Yeah. They asked about David Bakhtiari's status, and that's just unknown going into the bye. It sounds like there might have been like a setback in his recovery the last couple of weeks because we kept talking about it. Like David Bakhtiari's back, and he hasn't been back. So that's something to monitor going into the bye week. Or uh, they have one more week and then the bye week. The good news, though, is AJ Dillon comes out there, has six receptions, and all yep. of the running back targets. How did he look? We know we all know he can run the ball with power. How did he look as a receiver in, in that sort? So he made a bunch of catches extended away from his frame. Fascinating that neither of these teams needed their running games to have success in order to put up 34 and, and 31 points. And again, that speaks to you know the dueling quarterbacks on top of this as well. And and really Kirk Cousins matching Aaron Rodgers throw for throw, which he's doing so well this year, which not many people, you know, would have headed into this game thinking of that, but specifically with AJ Dillon, many carries early on. I mean, that's how he gets 11 for, for 53. And it was kind of your typical, I mean, obviously no long ones. The longest run went for 11, but a lot of those checkdowns where, you know, he did look comfortable. He did look poised and he didn't do that a lot in college. Guess who didn't also guess who else also didn't do that a lot in college. Melvin Gordon, Jonathan Taylor, Derek Henry got more of those opportunities this year. The list goes on and on and on. And this is kind of something we talked about in the usage show that he had more 
10 plus yard gains as a receiver than he did as a rusher this season. And it shows that, and he was hyper efficient. I think heading into this one, 16 of 18 of his targets led to, led to receptions. And so I don't know. And at the very least when Aaron Jones comes back for the Packers to hopefully make a, a playoff push, neither one of those players is an obvious tell when he's out there. I mean, I think Aaron Jones is an absolute stud in the screen game, but in these leaks on these flare outs, AJ Dillon is, is absolutely a weapon for the Packers as well. Yeah, I think that it's time to panic if you have Aaron Jones and you're waiting through the bye week when he comes back. I think AJ Dillon's going to be somewhat in the mix for like all downs. So, um, no, please, no AJ Dillon questions. Next hit start show. You're playing him, RB1. <laughs> MVS had his uh, better and best ball moment too, Hayden. Of as course. soon as Kirk Cousins hits a touchdown in the red zone, uh, this next play, the first play from scrimmage for the Packers, 75 yards deep, deep, deep to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And yes, as C.T. Bays points out in the chat, Aaron Rodgers says he's dealing with something worse than turf toe. And turf toe might sound mild. It's awful. It absolutely sucks. And he says he's not going to be healthy until the bye week is going to go through. And yeah, I just want to pull these up because Kirk, I mean, look at all these plays, 10 plus yards. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight passes and another one 40 plus yards down the field as well. And then obviously Aaron Rodgers is balling out as well. So it's uh, this was a fun one for all of you that didn't get to catch this one live because there are so many other games on. Definitely suggest you go back and watch Packers and Vikings. All right. That's three or four out of the way, Hayden. Next up. Go ahead. I've got Ravens Bears. This will be a quick one. Uh, obviously, Lamar Jackson gets r- ruled out and uh, Huntley tries to do some things, but just like the, it was very clear that this was not going to be an explosive offense on the other side of the ball with the bears the big story was justin fields he leaves early with ribs injury obviously the bears play on thanksgiving in four days it's un un unknown if he's going to be out there again we probably will have andy dalton but we'll learn more about that there was a really key uh play here for the bears where they got a huge long touchdown i thought that was going to ice the game and then humley comes back and wins this but the big story was neither one of these offenses could move the ball uh, David Montgomery, 95% of the snaps. Darnell Mooney made a big play on a screen. Those are your Bears players. And then on the Ravens, uh, nobody really broke free with with uh, Marquise Brown out of the lineup. So this was a, one of those games where you don't need to watch this game if you didn't catch up to it. Basically, nothing happened. What kind of quarterback is Tyler Huntley out there? I think that that's a fair question to ask because somehow yeah. Lamar Jackson pops up with an illness every single week. And it certainly sounded like Obviously, he was 50-50, but once you got the stadium, things were even worse. What kind of quarterback was Tyler Huntley today? I mean, he is like a poor man's Lamar Jackson, except the difference is Lamar's like more athletic. And when Lamar tries to throw the ball, it's typically downfield. He's leading the league in ADOT. Brett Hunt or Tyler Huntley, the exact opposite. Everything mm. was a check down. There was at least one point in this game where he completed at least 10 straight receptions. I think all of them were within like four or five yards. Like that was the big difference. It was very clear that there was not going to be many explosive plays in this game. I did have a non fantasy note that I wanted to bring up in the two minute drill. The Ravens had the ball and they ended up trying to switch personnel. And when offenses switch personnel, usually the ref goes up to the ball and says, hold up, wait a second. The defense gets the match. Well, under the two minute drill, that doesn't exist. So if you're an offense and you want to switch personnel, the defense either has to stay in the personnel that they're they they were on the field with, 
or they have to bring in personnel fast enough. And that's what the Bears tried to do on this game. And they couldn't get all the way to the other side of the field to cover Rashad Bateman. And there was this huge first down play. And Tony Romo made a good point that he never heard of this rule. And he Mm. thinks, and I agree with it, that moving forward, we might see two-minute drills, substitutions on offense, because the defenses are probably not going to be able to adjust for it. And someone like Bill Belichick, like a team that can win in both ways, I can see all of a sudden bringing the six offensive linemen, bringing Ramondre, we're going to start running with power all of a sudden, and the defenses aren't going to be able to substitute in and off the field. So that was a a loophole in the rules. And I think that's a huge deal because we see uh, two-minute drills uh, be the difference in games. So I thought that was something that I think we're – it didn't matter that that much in this game, but moving right. forward, this could be a huge storyline for the playoffs and, and beyond. Yeah, I mean, when the playoffs roll around, every single game is under the spotlight. We're 100% going to see one of these coaches do this. Yes. 100 Sean Payton, Bill Belichick. Someone's going to bend the rules and, and allow this to work in their favor. And then, hey, owners' meetings in February, it's going to be a conversation. Before we move on, Darnell Mooney with Allen Robinson out. Uh, had the highest target 16 targets in this game. Obviously, many of those had to have been uncatchable for this to, to work, but he goes on for five receptions, 121 yards, and one score. He's the only wide receiver. I guess Allen Robinson's the only one in this conversation of the two that is under contract for next year. How'd Darnell look today? It was just the screen. I mean, I didn't I didn't look at the box score and I didn't realize he had 16, 16 targets. targets. That is absurd. It did not feel like that. Most of these were fluttering out of control. Um, but yeah, it, it did not feel like that. But obviously, we will have to react. I'm sure the fantasy usage model is going to be loving Darnell Mooney for Tuesday's show. Yeah, so Baltimore 7-3 and three right now. We know it's been up and down the last few weeks with that Dolphins loss on Thursday night football, but then that Vikings comeback the week before they had the Browns, the Steelers, the Browns, the Packers, the Bengals, the Rams and the Steelers to finish this off the season. They might have the hardest strength of schedule as we go. It's tough. Before we move on from the NFC North, by the way, forgot to mention with Kirk cousins, he did have two interceptions taken away. I do want to say that uh, both by penalty and those obviously would have been game changers. Felt like since I watched that game, I should bring it up. But other than those two turnovers that I got, you know, pulled away, balling, straight balling. Let's talk about Cam Newton. Hayden. Cam Newton, Carolina Panthers. Let me find the box score. There it is. Lose to the Washington football team, 27 to 21. There were six coaches involved. Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, obviously in the Panthers end, Matt Rule, Joe Brady, Phil Snow. The man who stands at the top, Scott Turner. Scott Turner was clearly the best coach on the field in this game. Eight of 15 on third and fourth downs combined. His team was, this is now a two game sample we have of Scott Turner and Taylor Heineke putting this goodness on the field. They did against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense last week. They did it against the Carolina Panthers this week. I mean, one drive really stood out to me as the differences between the coaching staffs right now on the two sides. It was 21, 21. Washington goes first and 10, then to second and 12, then third and 21. And then on a fourth and three, which Ron immediately knew in this situation, he was going to go for it. Taylor Heineke is able to buy himself some time, roll to the left, hesitate, draw a linebacker to him and throw to the tight end again on fourth and three, their third string tight end and John Bates for a conversion. Seven minutes, 23 seconds left, tied up again in opposite of allowing the Panthers to get a 
you know, the possession almost in the opposition half, he's able to convert this play and they go on and get a field goal to make it 24 to 21. Compare that to the Panthers. It goes from first and 20 and that turns into fourth and three in their own half. Matt Rule stalls, sends out the punt team, realizes his mistake, calls a timeout, and they fail on the fourth down conversion as well. So one team is prepared. They were in the moment. They obviously were great on third and fourth down. The Panthers, their offense was completely the opposite in those you know, pivotal situations. And in the end, those were really the defining moments of this game. I saw a couple of plays from Terry McLaurin just down the field, oh. toe, toe tapping. He, did he look as good as his box score? Two big plays stand out. One was a touchdown that he elevated, and Scott Turner was able to match him opposite Jeremy Chin, who's a very good safety. But whenever you get Terry McLaurin, one of the best wide receivers in the league, versus Jeremy Chin at safety, you know you're going to take that matchup. And then the other one was just a lob up on one of the sidelines. And Terry's body control, his timing to elevate, I mean, he's not the biggest He's not the most athletic. He's certainly not the youngest in the NFL. He entered the NFL like 23 or 24, but he went up and got it and he won those two. And those were really his only true moments of the game. But when looking back of a five catch, 103, one touchdown performance, two very, very, you know, defining plays for, for Washington to come up with the win. And, you know, they're right in it in the NFC East. I know the Eagles keep on winning, but Washington has a chance as we go along to get one of those wild card spots. Um, quickly on the Panthers, Hayden, we got some vintage Cam Newton. Thankfully, we got a twenty-four yard touchdown run that was like one of those typical read option plays that he saw the edge wide open and boom, going to scamper off into the end zone. And then he hit Christian McCaffrey on a beautifully lofted pass that McCaffrey was basically lined up as a slot receiver to the right, floated over in front of safeties, over to linebackers, glorious play. But other than that, the Panthers' offense really struggled to gain a lot of consistency, and we just don't have a vertical element when watching this Panthers team. And so, like, that eliminates DJ Moore's ceiling, you know, seven targets, 50 yards. That eliminates Robbie Anderson's ceiling, six targets, 30 yards. So a lot of it is going to have to be manufactured or scripted or designed by Joe Brady. And the magic that we saw from Joe Brady, I know last year or early parts of this year, I'm not seeing like his stamp on a lot of these plays so far in these last few weeks. And maybe he's just learning, you know, this new quarterback and the new quarterback is just getting in there, but we see it across the league. And when Joe Brady's getting these head coaching opportunities, it's not, it's not the same thing as watching a Kellen Moore offense or obviously a, a Matt LaFleur offense. And I can keep going on and on and on with that. It, they did go two of nine on third downs. And we know that those are pretty fluky and at least Cam Dune was 21 of 27 and the average five yards a pop on the ground. So I feel like I'm pretty optimistic with the Panthers moving forward. I think specifically with Cam Newton, if he's going to look as fast as he did, like to me, that one touchdown run, I didn't. I don't remember him running that fast in New England when he had that foot injury. And I mean, if he's going to complete twenty-one of twenty-seven, I think that this team can move the ball with checkdowns under with Christian McCaffrey, which we saw, and then they have his best playmakers uh, available. So I think that right now, I mean, he was a, a top five fantasy quarterback this week. I think next week we can start beginning to have the conversation: Is he a top twelve fantasy quarterback? Yeah, I think that's a great point, and. 
And this one, the Panthers offense needed to pick up for their defense when in almost every other game, it would they would want it to be the opposite. And it has been the opposite. And the offense couldn't do that in this moment. And I mean, the defense just could not get off the field. They didn't touch Taylor Heineke until like the middle of the third quarter. They started getting some sacks with Son Reddick and, and Brian Burns, but they were just getting torched over and over and over again in pivotal situations. It was like what Washington started the year. And I don't know if this is a trend, if it's just regression, you can do the math if you want to Hayden. But whereas Washington's defense started off the season so poor in those third downs. And then now these last two or three weeks, they've been impeccable. They've been one of the best in the league. So who knows, who knows what's going on there, but the Panthers defense obviously needs to play much better five and six still again, just like Washington has a chance of getting one of those weird wild card spots in the NFC. It's the dolphins and it's the Falcons, the next two games, but you know, we put Washington up there as teams. They should beat if they want to claim one of those spots. So next up, Hayden, where are we headed? We're going Bengals Raiders blowout win. The Bengals get back on track over the Raiders 32 to 13. Uh, the primary storyline to me is just Joe Mixon once again solidifying himself as a borderline top five fantasy running back. He has at least 20 uh, PPR points in four of his last five games. He just set a new career high with his ninth rushing touchdown of the game. He's been doing it in multiple ways. Yes, he's the goal line back. Occasionally when the Bengals are losing, he becomes this check down artist and he, he can create explosive plays, but also he's just 11 yard touchdown. He's, been picking up lots of chunk gains and this was just a game where he just took over and the Raiders couldn't stop him ends up going for 30 carries 123 yards two touchdowns uh he lost some receiving work but if you're going to be that efficient and score that many touchdowns and we know that in negative game scripts he can catch four four or five passes too I don't know there's not that many fantasy running backs that are in a better spot for him uh than him this offense seems like they're getting a little bit things put together. Um, I like how their neutral pass rates going into this got better. Uh, it was pretty balanced early on. And then once this game got put away, it was just Joe Mixon time. Got it. Yeah. That's mainly what I wanted to ask about because at the end of the third quarter, it was 13 to six, which is still very much neutral yet. They end with 38 carries and just 29 passing attempts. And it's not just the passing attempts because it all seemed super close to the line of scrimmage. I didn't watch a second of this one, but you know, you get 29 attempts for just 148 passing yards. You have explosive players like Jamar chase, 32 yards, T Higgins, 15 yards, Tyler Boyd, 49 yards. Again, not criticizing because this was all in a win, but we have, it's been difficult to nail down exactly the identity of this Bengals team, especially when considering their personnel. So how you outlined it, I guess was the right way of doing it. Yeah, going into halftime, it was 18 pass attempts to 16 carries. And there was a little bit of an injury scare for Joe Burrow. We'll have to keep track of this. On his ACL side injury, he kind of got rolled up on, and he kind of had to fix his brace, and then he kind of limped off to the field. He ended up returning, didn't miss any time or anything like that, but perhaps something to keep an eye on. He said that he thought he played well after the game, and this was just a really controlling game. The Raiders' offense on the other side of the ball, that was – uh, one where there's a lot more, uh, I think, long-term issues. I think most importantly, Derek Carr doesn't have that vertical option. And everything right now is just Darren Waller underneath or in the intermediate part. And then same thing with Hunter Renfro. They combined for 12 targets. Everybody else not really involved. And they couldn't get anything beyond 20, 25 yards. So I thought that Derek Carr looked okay to me. There was a lot, a lot of... Uh, Decent throws over the middle, um, a great throw to uh, 
Foster Moreau for a touchdown. But when you take away Henry Ruggs and you're putting in Deshaun Jackson, who's still learning the playbook, who has been a part-time player for the last couple of years, I don't know if that element could get fixed. And I think that was a big ingredient to keeping Hunter Renfro and some of these other guys uh, at really high efficiency, high efficiency. So um, something to watch with this Raiders offensive line quietly being probably one of the 10 bottom 10 units in the league. Ooh. Yeah, three straight losses for the Raiders right now and at a point where, you know, the way that they wanted to conduct offense and what Derek Carr had morphed into, it all aligned perfectly. And now it feels like they can't get like a, a correct foothold on it. And meanwhile, this stops a two-game losing streak for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, their defense earlier in the year, Hayden, had been ranked among the top 15 groups in the league, which maybe didn't match their personnel. But Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard seemed like they were getting a good amount of of pressure in this one and keeping any team in the NFL, you know, 13 points is is big. Is big. Uh, let's talk about this before we go on any further. Cowboys and and Chiefs game because it didn't meet expectations in terms of its 55 and a half total. The Chiefs win 19 to 9 here. What stands out to me in it that there's multiple avenues to have this conversation, but the Chiefs offense in many ways were taking what the Cowboys were giving them with a lot of those short Tyreek Hill receptions being 11 targets for 77 yards for Tyreek, eight targets for 74 yards for, for Travis Kelsey. We were getting more and more CEH runs up the middle where he basically just morphs into a bowling ball and doesn't try to juke anyone or find open space. It's just straight dead ahead. Was that a takeaway for you that they seem more and more willing just to not force anything and still they turn the ball over, not their fault, not Patrick Mahomes' fault? Is that a step in the right direction, even though it only amounted to 19 points? Yeah, they didn't feel like they were fully on track. And I think it was primarily that interception that bounced off of Travis Kelsey's hands that was like kind of leaving a sour taste in my mouth. And they kept settling for field goals. Um, but at least they were moving the ball a little bit. I think that CEH out now that he's going to have a bye week to recover and then come back. I think that uh, there was a couple of plays where it was like very clear to me that CEH is a better runner than Daryl yeah. Williams. And he's going to be the the one a uh, moving forward. But yeah, there's still a little bit something off about the chiefs offense, but now they fixed the defense a little bit. And I think that's a credit to Spagnolo. They have, um, Melvin Ingram in the mix. And I think that the big story, I think the, the biggest story from this game was Chris Jones, who three and a half sacks, two TFLs. He had that pass deflection that turned into the game uh, locking interception as well. If they can get him uh, playing better, I think that could be where they're not going to be the 32nd worst defense in the league. They're going to be somewhere in the middle. I think that's the big difference for the Chiefs uh going from like, are they making the playoffs to like, Hey, could they end up and actually end up being the number one seed? Like they're only a couple wins away from, from being in that mix. Yeah. I haven't seen the chiefs defense fly around like it had today. Legereus Sneed was making plays in the secondary. You mentioned Chris Jones up front. Frank, Frank Clark made a play. Tyron Matthew entered this game, like super questionable, but they were all flying around and they were forcing what the Cowboys were trying to do offensively. And a lot of third downs were to go empty. And, the Chiefs were just hammering them in those instances. They were getting to Dak Prescott when he was climbing the pocket. They were hitting. They were flying downhill on you know third and six curls that went for four yards. They were stopping everyone short, and they were attacking the catch point as well. Now, it certainly hurts the Cowboys when Amari Cooper is down for two games, when CeeDee Lamb leaves at halftime, 
And in some ways, Hayden, it kind of felt like on the Cowboys end, a little bit like that Denver Broncos game where like you open this one immediately with the shot down the field on the right sideline to Michael Gallup. And it's just like a couple inches off. And, you know, it's so easy to say what if or, or what could have happened. But you do question because, I mean, zero touchdowns, three field goals, and that's it for a Cowboys offense that has so much firepower, so many good pieces. And Dak was off on some throws. His wide receivers let him down a whole bunch of other throws. But this is like two in the last three that we have said this. And I can't tell you a reason why and if it's not going to happen. But what if it does happen, right, in the playoffs? Then it just feels like they're going to lose, especially when you know your best edge rusher is also your best linebacker, and he's being forced to play one of those spots and not both of them because of the injury to Ray- Randy Gregory and to Marcus Lawrence. They're just, just coming down to injuries. You can't be with your second, third, and fourth best offensive players and then maybe, what, your first and fourth best defensive players, and that's what they were dealing with. And you just look historically, Tyron Smith, the on-off splits with the Cowboys, with him in and out of the lineup is completely drastic. And that, to me, was the biggest difference for the Cowboys on offense. Dak took five sacks in this game, and he was under pressure for a lot of them. And once C.D. Lamb was removed from the lineup, they were struggling just to get open down the field. So um, I think next week's game is on a Thursday. There's going to be no Amari Cooper. It's most likely going to be no C.D. Lamb. We'll see if Tyron Smith is going to be back out there. But if Tyron Smith's not out there as well, I think you have to downgrade this entire offense just a little bit. Um, I don't think that's going to be a long-term issue. Just Demarcus yeah. Lawrence, Randy Gregory, Tyron Smith, C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper. I mean, come on. Like, no, no team can compete with that many injuries. Yeah. I mean, and just looking at it, Michael Gallup was this close to so many big plays. Cedric Wilson had a few drop off his hands as well. Dalton Schultz is our new favorite uh, catch and fall tight end in the NFL. Tony Pollard adds some juice in there. I'm still a huge believer in the Cowboys and just what Michael Parsons is doing as a rookie in terms of his bend and his explosion off the line as, as a pass rusher, I probably didn't make enough of a deal of Randy Gregory being out for this and forcing Michael Parsons to play that role full time come and like combine that with where the chiefs are probably going to be forced to attack, which is, you know, that short to intermediate area without a fast linebacker, without you know quality players at that second level. I mean, Michael Parsons moving to the defensive line decreases the talent at that level, and then boom, the Chiefs are able to operate and be very comfortable in their quote-unquote window to win. And that, to me, was a major, major difference in this win and loss column today. I'm not going to be that concerned if Tyron Smith's out there. Like Even if it's no C.D. Lamb, no Amari Cooper, just give me Tyron Smith out there. They can have a functional ground game, and Dak Prescott can... Just have time. absolutely shred people, even yeah. if it is to like Noah Browns and those types of players. Uh, Michael Gallup on Thanksgiving, we're going to be having some serious conversations in our preview show about him. Okay. I like to hear that. Uh, I also want to continue in the four o'clock window and talk about the Arizona Cardinals, Seattle Seahawks. Let me pull up the scores. It was 23 to 13. The Cardinals beat Seattle. And while... We have let Russ Cook be a thing in 2019 and 2020. Today, we have Russ is cooked. It's so abysmal to watch Russell Wilson in this offense right now. He finishes 14 of 26, 207 yards. Tyler Lockett, yes, goes for 115, but so much of that was his 148-yard catch. Eight targets, 
31 yards for DK Metcalf. I wish I knew football better where I could sit back and say, this is what is going on with Russell Wilson. You and I have even like theorized what potentially could be the issues. You talked about it in the preview show that his game doesn't age well, where he's not explosive. He's not quick anymore. There's no suddenness to his game. And so when you drop your eyes and do circles in the pocket and try to play hero ball, when you're older and slower and also have a finger injury, those explosive moments, one, are not coached, but two, are so much more difficult to follow through with. And so we have actually seen Russ go through a handful of offensive coordinators in the past few years, and nothing has aligned perfectly for this team again with Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett to DK Metcalf to function week in and week out for us to know exactly what they want to accomplish compared to a lot of the offenses that we just talked about. That is terrifying. And so we've said it's the beginning of the end here for Russell Wilson in Seattle and losing to Colt McCoy, who we'll get to in a moment and the Arizona Colonels team to drop to three and seven. There have been much better days to be a Seattle Seahawks fan. Yeah, I think the season's over, and I think the Russell Wilson experience in Seattle is basically over. And I think it's something that we need to talk about going into the offseason is just Russell Wilson, so much of his production throughout his career comes on scrambles and deep throws, and his weaknesses are being able to throw the ball over the middle and hit your checkdowns and want to take those throws. And I think when you're a little on the shorter side and he's not going to be creating as many plays – He's just going to kind of be a sitting duck if he's if he can't move and he still wants to go big play hunting. Like, I don't know how much that's going to hold up. So um, I think it'll get better as the finger gets better. Was today a finger issue or was this everything else? Feel like the finger. It felt like just my style. I can't do what I used to do. I'm not going to take it this far, but it kind of felt like watching Cam Newton in a New England Patriots uniform in that like. Nothing explosive is happening. None of the magic moments that you could always put in your back pocket in like, you know, a drive to end the second quarter or once the second half rolls around, boom, we're going to unleash you on these vertical shots. And I mean, there was a, a red zone period where he had Gerald Everett wide open, kind of in like the right center of the field and completely airmails him. And the next time he's looking right, the pocket is not collapsing at all, but for some reason he drops his eyes and rolls to the left. And as soon as he does that, Jeff Swaim, you know, trickles across the back of the of the end zone and is wide open as well. And then Russ just fires it to the left sideline. And Jeff Swaim runs at him and like points and says, dude, I am wide open. I don't know if you've seen like some of these comments that DK Metcalf said with Geno Smith of, oh man, it's great when I have a ball thrown up to me so I can show my athleticism and go up and get it. It's not being said outwardly or publicly. Would not be shocked if there are some frustrated wide receivers in that room right now because they they just are not being put in a position to succeed at this moment. Remember the the Legion of Boom guys were like roasting him after every single person that leaves, and they're like, "What's up with that Russ dude?" It's 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 been weird. Like it's there's a lot of weirdness. Um, but yeah, I think it's gonna be a massive off season storyline issue because I think he's gonna get traded, and I'm very curious to see where he's gonna get traded to and like how long that window they want like whoever's trading for Russ, are they saying that like, because it's our quarterback for the next five ish years till he retires or is this like a two three we'll see if we can try to win a super bowl like someone like the browns or is it going to be like the saints and he's going to ride him out for the rest of the career it's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch 
it is the lack of escapability against sacks now because he's never had a great offensive line. But I wouldn't say that this was a bad offensive line point. There were a couple of plays that Chandler Jones made that were fantastic. But it was always those times that when you remember vintage Russ, it's like just this sixth sense to know there's a free rusher coming and boom, rolling out and you know, trickling to the to the sideline and launching a pass 40 yards that no one else can do. He does not have like that superpower anymore of either the movement or the arm to do that at this time. And without that, then you have a guy who doesn't want to play inside the structure. Okay, quickly on Arizona and, and Colt McCoy, because you do have a quarterback who wants to play inside the structure and that allows him to go 35 of 44. Yes. Even with positive game script throughout the entire game, Kirk Cliff Kingsbury trusts Colt McCoy for 44 passing attempts, 328 yards, and two scores. We talk about it every single week. We've talked about it tonight. Injuries change. When backup quarterbacks are in, you have to change the offense. In two of three games that Colt McCoy has started in the absence of Kyler Murray, they have won. They've beaten the 49ers and they've beaten the Seahawks, both, both NFC West foes. I mean, it's it's pretty cool what Colt is doing when getting your opportunity called upon as a former starter in the NFL. Nothing crazy. Nothing wild, but just in moments of converting on third downs, converting on fourth downs, throwing it up to AJ Green when he's one on one and allowing him to have a chance, you know, dropping a snap uh, near the goal line and picking it up and having the awareness to then get the ball to Zach Ertz. They got Rondell Moore much more involved with 11 targets, 11 receptions, and 51 yards. Cliff is adding more and more new things each and every week. And for that, and hopefully Kyler comes back next week, but if this is the only window we get of Colt McCoy, he absolutely did his job 100% to keep the Cardinals in first place in the NFC. My only notes are Cliff Kingsbury, coach of the year, 9-2 and two record, including San Francisco and Seattle wins with Colt McCoy. I mean, as long as they don't, as long as they don't tank the last couple of games here, they're going to get DeAndre back, healthy Kyler. Their offense goes deep, and they're going to get Chase Edmonds back, and the defense is still holding up their own and their defense coordinator is rocking and rolling with lots of crazy blitzes and uh, Robert Alford want to talk about him real quick. He didn't play uh, two years ago because he broke his leg. He didn't play last year because he tore his peck. The Cardinals signed him uh, two, two years ago. This is the final year of his deal. He's 33 and he's playing like one of the top corners in the NFL right now. Next gen stats has some stats. We're talking about uh, yards per snap, uh, allowing a reception and then EPA per play and coverage. And he's in the top right quant, uh, quadrant next to the, the elite, elite corners. And he's 33 coming off two season-ending injuries. I didn't even play a single snap. And they bet on him, and it's actually working out. I think it's one of the coolest underrated storylines that a 33-year-old that hasn't played in two years is all of a sudden uh, single-handedly on the back end taking over for, for the Cardinals' defense. Finally, on Rondell Moore, we did get a whole bunch of volume. Again, 11 targets turns into 11 receptions for 51 yards. It was no different usage, though, than we have seen all season long. In fact, Hayden, his A dot was negative 1.3 yards in this game. So it was all behind the lines. I mean, there were some that were ahead, but then he also got taken back for, I think, a nine-yard loss, and that's where a lot of the A dot was lost. But it was more just like extended handoffs, some like, just one or two or three just beyond the line of scrimmage and asking him to, you know, make one or two players miss beyond the line of scrimmage. So like the receptions, he was did great in your PPR leagues, but we're still not seeing like legit wide receiver stuff from him. Yeah, and James Garner got a one, one yard touchdown. He's, he's the Garrett blunt. I think, as you said out there, 
Oh, he's a little bit better than that. He caught five passes today. He's more than LeGarrette Blount. Don't don't criticize LeGarrette Blount. LeGarrette Blount was a baller. He absolutely was a baller. Uh, okay, we have a few more scores to hit on. New Orleans and Philadelphia. Did you have this game or did we watch this game, either of us? No. Nope. Did not watch it. Uh, Jalen Hurts had an unreal touchdown run. That's all that I saw. He had three rushing scores on the ground. I actually thought the over was going to, or the under was going to hit in this game of 43 and a half. Again, this points to me being wrong because it was a very nice total of 69 points in, in this game. Uh, Miles Sanders comes in, immediately gets back the lead ball carrier role with 16 for, for 94. I want to go watch and specifically isolate the matchup between Devontae Smith and Marshawn Lattimore because it certainly looked like early on, I didn't get to watch this game fully, that they were locked one on one throughout the whole contest. Yep, and we're on Alvin Kamara watch. The both of the tackles were out for the Saints. They play on Thanksgiving as well. So uh quick turnaround for all those guys. And that's why I think both in, both both of us were kind of looking at oh, Saints maybe ups upset of the week, but once the injury reports came out, it was clear that this team was not gonna be able to compete. I think we're on Trevor Simeon watch. Not that they have anyone else to go to, but this is three straight losses: Falcons, Titans, Eagles for the Saints. So while they started off at five and two at the at to open the season, it, it certainly feels like they are spiraling towards the end of the year. What's Philip Rivers up to? So I'm curious. I've, does he even want to come back to this five and five record and where they're at right now? You know, I think that's that's a fair question to ask. Um, okay. What else do we have? Miami and New York Giant Jets, excuse me. Miami wins 24 to 17. So a deep shot from Tua to Mac Hollins for 65 yards. Other than that, it Box score certainly reads like everything else was as expected. You know, 23 carries for 89 yards. Maybe that's a bit higher yards per carry than we expected from Miles Gaskin. Jalen Waddle goes eight for 65. I think we predicted that exactly heading in for the pregame show. Uh, And then the one player who made a play for the Jets was Elijah Moore, one-on-one down the field. Over route, 62 yards, post by rookie bump. So it feels like it's hitting for Elijah Moore, Hayden. He outsnapped Jameson Crowder 36 to 31 in this game. That's been the difference. I didn't want to start him this week because he was a part-time player. But if he's going to be the new number two or number one sharing snaps with Corey Davis, sign me up. We'll see what happens. I think that next week they play the Texans. And I think Zach Wilson should be back out there. But uh, he's certainly trending up. And I think that when we go into next offseason, we're going to have about five or six of these rookie wide receivers that everyone's going to be circling their name as like, we got to get these guys on our best ball teams. I think Elijah Moore will uh, certainly be included on that list. 49ers beat the Jaguars 30 to 10 question. I'm going to ask is Debo Samuel. Can he split himself and play both running back and wide receiver at the exact same time? Because once again, he's this team's leading ball carrier, eight carries 79 yards and a score. Sure, that does allow Brandon Ayuk to go for seven for 85 and another score. George Kittle gets a touchdown, which is kind of rare for him as well. I, I know that the 49ers opened this game with like a 20-play, 13-minute drive, which is the longest since the year 2000 in wow. the NFL. And it only ended in a field goal because Kyle didn't have the cojones to go for it, but he knew he was going to win this game. Um, what about you? Jimmy Garoppolo averaging 9.2 yards per attempt over his last four games. I know he's dinking and dunking, but he's got the guys to do it. And that's just going to be the story. I think the second secondary story is, um, is this Debo Samuel running back usage? Is that like just a temporary band-aid fix because of the running yeah. running back issues? Or is this kind of a trend? Because 
Um, cool. He had another 25 yard touchdown. He's literally incredible, but I would like him to play or get more than two targets here. Um, but he touches the ball. So, so many damn times and he's so good. It doesn't really matter that much, but it is curious to see, like you said, like, is he a running back? Is he a wide receiver? What, what's the plan here moving forward? He's probably the best player in the NFL with the ball in his hands and they're going to get him the ball no matter what. Oh yeah. And that's something that we can lock in now are eight receptions better for us than eight carries for sure. But he also produces a big 25 yard touchdown run as well. Uh, Jeff Wilson as a fill in for Eli Mitchell with that broken finger does go 19 carries for 50 yards in that first drive that they settled for a field goal. Jeff Wilson was wide open. And I mean, wide open. Everyone flowed to the left he was alone in the right, and Jimmy Garoppolo airmails him by three yards. It's a throw you it. and I and everyone in the chat could have made. I got my jokes off 100%. I know they win 30 to 10. You cannot tell me, though, that not going for it on that play is not a direct indication of what the head coach thinks of his quarterback. You can't do me right after he misses that throw. So that's where I'm falling. On that discussion, Jaguars know. Yeah, Jaguars know. We're gonna have to pour one out for Swag New. Seems like he had a very bad injury. Could be a season-ending hip injury. Um, I hate to see it. He was like, I think a, a, a difference maker for this team. He's like the speed element. So I see that they get Laquan Treadwell and Tavon Austin in there to close out this game. It's just going to be impossible, man. Like Trevor Lawrence, he's missing too many throws. He's under pressure a lot, and there just no one can get open. It's going to be just a really, really tough team to watch. We see it throughout the league that even when a team loses 30 to 10 or they're down by 14 or 18 points, they can put up yards. They couldn't put up anything. They put up just 200 yards total in this game. And so much of that wasn't until the final drive of, of the entire game. It's getting to a point where you legitimately have to ask, what have Urban Meyer, Daryl Bevel, and company done well and like made a good decision of for the team, like who are they improving on the roster, right? And I don't know if you have many positive answers at the end of the year. And so is it the right place to go? I know you give him a ton of money, but is the right place to go to give him a second year? Like it might get that bad as we go along. Oh, it's the, it's that bad it's right now. It's already that bad. It's that bad. It's so bad. They couldn't get Dan Arnold a freaking target. What happened there? He was the TJ Hawkinson of the week where tight end one usage all of a sudden nothing. Yeah. All right. For the 49ers, I, I think your point with Jimmy Garoppolo makes sense in that this is a vision that can win for them. And at five and five, again, they are one of those numerous teams that are in the playoff hunt. So you're seeing like a blueprint being made for them to win success, win successfully. And so now that you have, as we talked about, Kittle and Ayuk and hopefully Eli Mitchell coming back soon, they have the pieces to do it. And hopefully the defense can match the offense in that regard. And to me, that's a really dangerous team, a dangerous team that you wouldn't want to face in the first round of the NFC playoffs. It is weird. We're going to do this huge full circle. I do think that Shanahan, even though he drafted Trey Lance, like his vision for this year was like, try to win this thing with Jimmy G. And like, I think we're kind of seeing it where like, maybe he was a little bit accurate with, with, by doing that, but it is really weird how this entire season has kind of played out, but they are peaking at the right time, especially the, the rest of the season. So, so easy. Let's close out with the uh, Browns beating the lions at home, just 13 to 10 Baker Mayfield goes 15 of 29, 176 yards, one score and two interceptions and one press conference that he elects not to attend. That's also on the box score. 
refused to talk to reporters after this. I think Boo Birds came out for Baker Mayfield at home in this game. And instead, there were chants of chub, 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 because the full experience, we saw it. 22 carries, 130 yards, a touchdown reception, he can catch, and 14 yards in the air for Nick Chubb. I mean, we say every single week, it's not worth repeating here, but at 6-5, and a team that we think is at the roster that is winnable, it is being reduced the probability of this season being successful by an injured limited quarterback at the helm. Yep. It's not going to get much better. I don't think it's all Nick Chubb. The, the, the crowd actually was chanting full Chubb, full Chubb, full Chubb. Right. Uh, well, I guess Baker's best part of his game was that he wasn't Tim Boyle. He only went 77 yards and, and two interceptions, but it's crazy what Deandre Swift does in these. I mean, that ludicrous 57-yard touchdown run when he juked out a play at the line of scrimmage, again, an added element that we are seeing improvement with him as the season goes along because, as we talked about, missed tackles forced wasn't nearly as good as a rusher as it was as a receiver. But this is back-to-back games where he's shining the rushing game and not just as a pass catcher. So that's another player, Hayden. Who knows what the conversation around the lines is going to be, and they have a lot of work to do, but is he going to be mentioned among the top four or five or six picks in, in 2022? Because the answer almost certainly is going to be yes. I thought today's game was more impressive than last week's because he played 73% of the snaps with Jamal Williams active and Jamal Williams is practicing all week. So I think that this could be something where uh, Jamal Williams is not going to be mixing in as much as he was before. Did we talk about Houston, Tennessee? We didn't. No, not. we haven't. I, th- I thought you were trying to get out of here without talking about this one. Please recap this game for me, Josh. All right. Texans went 22 to 13. 10 point road dogs in this one. The most impressive performance on the day was Hayden Winks calling this one out in our preview show. Your thoughts? I mean, I nailed it just because it, exactly what happened was you couldn't get the passing game going and there were just too many injuries. And like, I think that's like the one thing that when I'm trying to do any creating any uh, storyline for, for betting purposes or anything like the first thing I look at is like injury report. Like a lot of people don't understand. Look at all these little details like the fullback and the second tight end and the edge rusher and their two linebackers and their safety when everyone's out it's time to circle it up. So um, the Titans have some work to do. They were averaging like 5.6 yards per drop back since the Derrick Henry injury. And obviously I got really lucky because AJ Brown was clearly playing hurt. And I think that Marcus Johnson left early as well, but I don't, I I don't think the Titans are legit. They're eight and three. They're going to be in the playoff mix, but this team has way too many holes right now. Um, They really need Julio Jones back and being Julio Jones, not 2021 Julio Jones, like 2019 Julio Jones for this team to have a chance. They are such a weird team. I mean, week one lost the Cardinals. That's obviously believable. But in their win column this year, the Seahawks, the Colts, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Colts again, the Rams, and the Saints. The two other losses, the Jets and the Texans. And they're at two very different points in the calendar. Obviously, in week four against the Jets, Derek Henry was very much involved Now, though, this team, as you alluded to, there is no reason to have confidence in their offense. They are showing you no reason to to believe in them at this point. And that's terrifying 
for a team that now has to throw the ball 52 times with Ryan Tannehill to hobbled AJ Brown, who was in and out of this game, to Westbrook Akine, to Dontrell Hilliard, to Chester Rogers, to Des Fitzpatrick. And because of those forced passes to players that you know aren't creating separation, they're very much operating the same level of the field. Every time that I saw this game pop up on red zone, it was a forced throw of the middle of the field that was being intercepted by the Texans. Awful formula for success as we go along the next few weeks. Uh, ben Solak, who works for the Ringer, he had a really cool column breaking down uh, Ryan Tandell's play action game without Derrick Henry and noticing some of the differences there. So as that sample grows, we can get more and more confident that this isn't noise and that there's actually something to this. And I think there's like not a, as aggressive in their play action. I think uh, what you're saying is true. It's just like too many balls over the middle, like into traffic and they aren't, they're not getting as open because there's not as much defensive attention on them. Are you telling me that play action success might actually matter and depend more on if there's an all pro running back back there versus not only if it's a cyborg running back, that's it. <laughs> uh, I mean, Tyrod only had to throw for 107 yards. The team only had 83 rushing yards and they're still able to win 22 to 13. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Congratulations. You got everything right this Sunday. I get everything wrong. That means it's going to come up for me next week. I appreciate everyone that's still here. After an hour, we did just wrap up every single game. For those of you still here, like and subscribe to the channel. It's always great to hear you, CT Blaze and Short Round and Ming Han and Paul and all of our friends. Hayden, should we run through the Thanksgiving schedule before we get out of here? We should. Okay. So we have this show, Sunday night, Monday morning. We'll be back on Tuesday. Normally scheduled 5.30 usage show that also be a bit more of a look head to the Sunday slash Monday games ahead of the weekend. And then Hayden and I will also be back here on our YouTube channel Wednesday around noon, 1230, somewhere around there, to preview in depth the three-game Thanksgiving slate because we're going to have some awesome games over on Underdog Fantasy for those, some Battle Royales, plenty of pick them as well. So we want to go in depth with those three games. Did I outline that correctly for everyone, Hayden? Yep, we should be spending plenty of time on those Thanksgiving shows. So yeah, looking forward to it. The Thanksgiving slate, just the best. So much little strategy. The Battle Royale stuff's going to be awesome too. Sweet. And if you want to get ahead of that, does Battle Royales and Pick'ems, as always, use promo code the show, and we will double your deposit. But maybe be on the lookout for a little special promo we have coming your way, not just for first-time depositors, but also for our loyal and faithful continued users as well. All right, let's get out of here, Hayden. Our shortest show of the season. Imagine that. Thank you all for being here. Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. <laughs>